everyone, welcome to episode two of Cure the World podcast. Today, we are very, very excited to have our guest speaker to come and join us, Dennis Sanchez. Dennis Sanchez is currently the Privacy, Security, and Compliance Officer at Project Monin, a healthcare technology startup based out of the San Francisco Bay Area that is focused on solving one of healthcare's most challenging areas, oncology and cancer treatment. Dennis has over 15 years experience working in healthcare and specifically over 12 years working within the realm of HIPAA. Prior to joining Ronin, Dennis was a director with Sutter House, serving as privacy and information security officer over the North Bay region, supporting three hospitals and a large medical foundation. And prior to Sutter, Dennis was an information security officer with the Department of Veteran Affairs in Network 21. Welcome, Dennis. We're so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So, Dennis, we ask this question to every guest that comes to our episode. Um, you know, tell us how you got interested in healthcare and compliance. Wow, that's a great question to start off with. Um, two answers to this question. I got interested in healthcare because um, I had, uh, I come from a family of teachers. Uh, majority were, were educators and those that didn't educate were somehow in the healthcare field. So nursing, um, I had some second cousins that were doctors. Uh, my mother in Chihuahua, Mexico is a doctor. And so it was just like natural progression to be like, well, I, I don't want to teach. So maybe I'll just explore healthcare. Um, so I ended up starting, starting out working at, or I should say volunteering at, uh, a local allergist's office back home in Santa Maria, California. And um, I enjoyed it. You know, that was kind of fun. And uh, I started to feel this bigger purpose about, you know, hey, this isn't just a job. This is actually something that affects people. Uh, and, oh, that's, that's why my parents, my grandparents, um, you know, that's why they enjoyed teaching so much. It's because they had such an impact on, on future lives. Uh, and so that's how I kind of fell into healthcare. It's just, I want to volunteer somewhere. I'll go work at this allergist office. Hey, I really enjoy this. And oh, wow, there's a bigger calling here. Um, for compliance, fast forward about, gosh, probably about eight years from that experience with the allergist office. And I was with the government uh, working for the Department of Veterans Affairs. And I was um, working in the research administration department, so the research group. Um, and so the research group um, handled a lot of, of human studies research, a lot of animal research, a lot of um, biosafety, chemical research. Um, it was really fascinating. And one thing that they required was um, somebody to go in and make sure that they were doing the right thing how I always describe compliance is, hey, are we doing the right thing? So this group needed somebody to identify areas of deficiency as it pertained to following their handbooks. And so the government's handbooks is your guide on how you meet the requirements of your program. And so I went into uh, the program and I identified the areas that needed to be addressed. Uh, and it was um, good timing because we happened to have an oversight visit by our oversight agency. And uh, several of the areas were also identified through that audit. Um, and from there, 
they're like, well, you did a great job of identifying. Let's work with, let's work to fix it. And so that's kind of how I fell into compliance. Um, just as, again, I guess it was a natural progression. The one thing I've realized, um, you know, having started there and now I've jumped into this giant realm of HIPAA and other areas of compliance, um, it's such a people-centric discipline. You, know, you have your, your regulation and your laws, yes. You have your frameworks, you know, that you have to work within, yes. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to the people. So what I find interesting is my career path and my journey has taken me, you know, through this uh, industry and into this discipline that are about the people. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's what's definitely kept my interest in healthcare and in compliance is because I enjoy working with the people. Yeah, do you mind actually double clicking into the um, your your idea and notion of people centric and working with people? Um, because I think you know when a lot of people they hear ah compliance ah security ah HIPAA like it's rules it's regulations it's frameworks. Um, you're yes. probably very you know from as far as I'm aware of very very few um, HIPAA counselors and compliance uh, officers out there who actually talk about people <laughs> as far as I have encountered so far. So could you talk? Talk to us a little bit more about, you know, how do you know, how do you view this as a human centric, people centric process? And then what are some, some of the things that you kind of do to support that? Sure. That's a great question. Segway. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that uh, your greatest asset, any company has, you know, the greatest asset of people, right? the the heartbeat of your company is your people um but people are responsible for building products you know for um safeguarding and developing you know security and privacy within those products and i'm focusing solely within the compliance space right um your people have the greatest chance of doing the right thing or they have the greatest chance of making mistakes um, it all comes back to your people. Um, when I was with uh, Sutter, uh, I quickly realized that in order to get buy-in, you know, to make sure that, you know, HIPAA is being followed, that security best practices are being followed, uh, and even though it might conflict with what someone or a clinic was doing, like the best, fastest, quickest way to get that buy-in was to connect with the person or the director or you know whoever's overseeing the group. Um, the people aspect of compliance is critical uh, because you can, you can have the most secure systems, right? You can have the most advanced technology, but all it takes is one person to go in and make a, make a mistake. So the human element that is kind of like the undercurrent and drives compliance is critical. Um, you know, that's why I'm, I'm a big proponent of compliance education, training and awareness, uh, developing a program that incorporates really strong foundations of education um, at all levels. Cause it's not just, you know, the, the people at the bottom, it's, it's the people at the top as well. 
compliance is a holistic, you know, I view it holistically that, you know, your, your top leadership, if they have, um, you know, a strong compliance posture, a strong security posture, privacy posture, that's going to trickle down and affect the way that the lower level people view compliance and privacy. And then it, it, it really makes a, the person in compliance, whoever that individual is, it makes their role uh, easier. Um, some, would, some would say it makes it better. Uh, I would say it makes it more fulfilling. Mm, nice. Yeah, that's super cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. I can definitely see your um, family influence of uh, being a teacher <laughs> as well. Hand movements. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Um, Dennis, I think one thing that so we have been very curious about and, you know, really eager about picking your brain because you have spent many years in the compliance world is at the same time, you know, we've also seen that uh, there's a lot of, there has been a lot of development of technology, you know, we think about Facebook, we think about Google, you know, all the large tech companies are really emerging and people are kind of actually paying attention now. You know, under that kind of backdrop and that landscape change, has there been any kind of changes in the health data security or privacy that you have observed in the past uh, several years? That's a great question. Um, and it's, it's funny because, you know, HIPAA, you know, was created in 1996 and, well, devised, you know, probably before that, but... Uh, enacted, you know, in 96. And that's a long time ago. Uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, a sophomore in high school back then, still watching Power Rangers and, <laughs> and not even thinking about, you know, technology, not even thinking about the fact that my flip phone would be able to do so much, you know, in, in five, 10 years time. So um, technology has changed so drastically. And the way that privacy and security um, impact technology is also evident, especially in healthcare space. Um, you know, the de development of our iPhones you know, and our, our smartphones um, has really, really been a game changer in healthcare. Uh, the development of our wearables, you know, I have my, my watch, uh, before this, I had my Fitbit, um, you know, which is now a part of Google, right? It's the idea of like the, so the internet of things, IOT, interconnectivity of devices to our lives, um, you know, has impacted privacy and security. Um, the concept of by design, you know, whereby you go and at step one of your design, your development process, you're embedding concepts and safeguards and controls uh, to ensure privacy, security, and compliance in your devices going forward, right? It's, it's that uh, step one inclusion of privacy and security. Uh, all that is in relation you know, to how fast and how great technology has changed um, in recent years, as well as you know, in the past decade and um, even before that, I'm sure. But healthcare and technology like, is it's booming. Um, you know what we're doing at Project Ronin um, you know, is just one area of how technology um, and the need for privacy and security like overlap. 
I think about um, like my first health app, I think was like the My Fitness Tracker or um, was something, actually I take it back. My first health app was uh, a map that would track, you know, where I would run in this in the city of San Francisco. Uh, and I never thought back then about you know, like, oh, it's, it's tracking my location. You know, it's, it's collecting information about me. It's collecting data points about me. You know, it might notice that I happen to run by, you know, this one donut shop <laughs> every single time. It might, it might start to, you know, market me, you know, towards like donuts, which I love by the way. And it's just so fascinating how, you know, we don't think about security and privacy as consumers, uh, including consumers of health apps, you know, and um, I think that the regulation is evolving and changing. We've had a lot of recent changes within HIPAA, um, or proposed changes, I should say. The COVID year last year changed uh, regulation quickly, um, you know, with regards to telemedicine uh, and other areas, of course, but um, the use and the, the disclosure and the access of the data, you know, is, is, um, is up for discussion right now. Uh, and it, it's just so fascinating. This is a huge area. Yeah, this is the area that we're actually very curious about. So, you know, you had mentioned your example of, oh, I walk past the donut shop all the time. And then, you know, <laughs> it, the, is that considered healthcare data, right? If, maybe mm. not, right? Mm, but then what if, what if then, uh, let's say somebody sells the data to, what's the new company recently, Noom, that right. <laughs> helps you change your behavior, you know, and help you kind of get healthier and develop healthier uh, habits. Now, all of a sudden, is your visit to the donut shop, is that healthcare <laughs> data all of a sudden, right? <laughs> Um, I think on a more serious note, we've also, um, during our research for this episode, we've also stumbled upon another example, a lot more serious, uh, serious example, where uh, it was a company called Ovia Health, and it was a pregnancy tracking app that was offered by their employers to their employees as a service to, you know, help with their kind of facility, uh, um, fertility and menstrual cycle uh, kind of services. Um, but, you know, Ovia Health claims that the data they provide to their employers about their employees is only aggregate. But then there's also a lot of people claim that it's actually fairly simple to cross-reference and de-identify those data. And essentially, uh, you know, employers may have the possibility of having a hold of uh, data around their employees' fertility and, you know, menstrual cycle and all these other kind of very important PHI that we're talking about here. So this is where I think as we're looking into the emergence or, the, you know, the, the more and more kind of close knitting of healthcare and technology, we're seeing that, uh, you know, what constitutes as PHI becomes fuzzy, you know, how do we protect those data becomes fuzzy. So, you know, Dennis, we, I'm curious what your perspective on those, you know, are we kind of still at a stage where it's rather unclear and to be defined? And if so, what are some of the things that, you know, we as a company, maybe the government can do to actually bring more clarity to what constitutes as, you know, PHI, PHI, or something that we should protect for uh, consumers? That's a good question. Um, I think that HIPAA has been around a long time. And I think that, you know, with how to say this, I think that hmm, there are many specialists out there. There are attorneys, there are HIPAA specialists who are non attorneys, like present. Um, I think that what happens is 
the, the right folks are not engaged enough. And so what might have, what might, what might be this great idea might have some regulatory uh, challenges, unknown regulatory challenges, because the right individuals are not necessarily being engaged. Um, like when I think about a health app, right, that is um, collecting information uh, that the consumer is using only for themselves, like, is that HIPAA data? Like, no, because it's not, it's not being transmitted. Uh, it's not creating, receiving, or maintaining, or transmitting PHI on behalf of like the provider, right? Um, if if it were, then, then you know we would be entering the realm of potentially like a business associate, right? Or maybe even a covered entity, depending depending on what they're doing. Um, I think that the realm of business associates is. Um, it's incredibly important uh, now, maybe than it more so than it used to be, um, primarily because of all of these um, these advances in technology. Right, some of these technologies are going to become um, covered entities, you know, as viewed under HIPAA, you know, because of what they do, you know, providing some type of a treatment or care, uh, working with payment in the healthcare ops, but. The others that deal with PHI, they're going to be the business associates, right? And I think that as we've seen in at least the past five years, data is valuable. Data is a commodity uh, and data is sold. Um, it's sold and, and companies and individuals make money off of data. That's our data, right? And that includes our health data. Um, you know, there are certain areas of health data that are maybe a little bit more rich and valuable than others. Like think about pharmaceuticals, right? And think about like maybe clinical trial data in particular, especially as we just are still developing COVID vaccines and just released, you know, this, the most recent ones that we've released. I mean, it, there's value in data. And so what I think um, needs to happen is that Companies that are going to be developing technology, whether that's an app or a product, um, and if those companies are going to be um, specifically focused on, you know, developing for healthcare purposes, like treatment, payment, operation, whatever it may be, um, you know, they need to be they need to be early on consulting with a HIPAA expert, so that as they develop and and code um, and plan out, you know, the stages of release for their products and their software and their apps. Like they're doing it right from the get-go. Uh, I'm a really firm believer that you know, you go slow, slowly when you're developing for patients. You know, if that's the ultimate goal, you have to be you have to be cautious, and you have to take care of the data. You have to take care of the information. Because it's so valuable, because it is so um, sought after by bad actors, by threat actors or hackers, um, and and also because of the impact to the patient. You know, data breaches are terrible things to have to report to patients. They're terrible for the business, absolutely. All of a sudden, you're, you're talking fines. Potentially, you're talking uh, you know bad press or or damage to the brand. 
but at the end of the day, it's the patient, right? No patient wants to receive a letter in the mail, like, hey, your data has been compromised. And it's like, oh my goodness. You know, patients are patients because they are in weak and vulnerable moments, right? They're, they're ill or they're seeking some type of a treatment or they don't know what's going on. And, and it's, the, it's a horrible time to have to tell a patient like this company or this, this hospital system, and we had a data breach, right? So always start with your privacy and security from step one. That's, I'll, I'll preach that till the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah, especially, you know, on your point of data is, you know, very valuable, especially healthcare data. Um, and uh, there are unfortunately bad actors out there. I think a very interesting piece of data that we found is according to Experian, a single patient record can actually sell for upward of a thousand dollars on a black market. Um, so, you know, and it's it's actually scary because uh, the price is actually dependent on how complete the record is. Um, it's actually nearly 50 times of a standard credit card record, you know, how much it goes on, how much that goes on the black market. It just really goes to show how uh, valuable healthcare data is and then also how, um, you know, potentially how many bad actors could be out there, you know, after them. So definitely for sure. Um, and Dennis, I really like your point around, uh, you know, how can companies, you know, startups, especially as I, I'm sure a lot of uh, our listeners are listening to, um, are there, as they're kind of designing products, you know, starting companies, how they can be, you know, better guardians of the data that they have. Um, you know, you had mentioned uh, consult a HIPAA consultant early um, <laughs> from the beginning. What are some other kind of tips or ideas that you will give them to make sure that they're actually doing the right thing, as I quote you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's a great question. You know, this question kind of speaks to you know industry best practices, um, but out, outside of the practice, it, it speaks to like the internal culture. Um, I think I'll start by by saying that you know it's it's not just the product. You know, we, we build and we design for a purpose, right? Why? You know, it's for, for in healthcare, it's, you know, health tech, it's, it's oftentimes for the patient, right? But even outside, it's, it's for, for a consumer, right? Um, and the information that ultimately is being used is valuable. You know, it's, it's an individual, it's their identity, it's their fingerprint, right? And that's why health data is so valuable. It's, it's your full fingerprint. You know, it's not just your, your, the top of your nail, you know, or the top part of your finger. It's, it's the full gamut because healthcare information encompasses like financial information. It encompasses uh, demographic or individually identifiable PII, right? It encompasses, um, it also encompasses like their health information, like the vulnerable health information about this individual. Um, so it is absolutely your fingerprint and the full, full, full print. Um, and you can unlock so much with that, right? So you've got to be careful. You know, I think about like our Apple devices now, you know, where you can unlock your system with your fingerprint. It's like, yeah, bad actors can do the same thing with, you know, information. So when it comes to companies, um, absolutely starts, start strong from the get-go, you know, uh, engage, uh, you know, your HIPAA professionals and experts, 
early, you know, so they can advise and guide you with, with how to go about building fast, you know, and if there needs to be any like breaks, you know, like at least we'll be contemplating like how to safeguard the data so that you can, so the engineering teams can do their, their essential work, you know, without compromise. So I think that from a, from a company's perspective, like a startup company perspective, uh, it, it speaks to best practices, right? Protect your networks. Like <laughs> that's kind of common sense stuff, but you'd be surprised. Um, a lot of people forget, you know, like, oh, I sh we can't be, you know, public face internet. Oh, yeah, we have to have a, you know, secure password protected Wi-Fi. Oh, okay. Um, protect your networks. Uh, and that includes, you know, securing your wireless networks. Um, educate your staff. I mentioned it earlier. Education is one of the, the strongest and least expensive ways to build and develop a strong, secure workforce. So education is, is, is critical. Um, encryption is also very, very powerful, uh, can be expensive, can be burdensome, but it's, it's really necessary and, um, you know, it's required, you know, in certain instances, uh, especially if you talk about transmission, which let's be honest, we're most likely talking about transmission. So you got to have transmission security. Um, the thing about HIPAA security, and you've heard me say this, Yiching, is HIPAA security is not, um, it's not a framework, right? You can't get certified in HIPAA, right? You can't, um, there's no real checklist of like, we must do X, Y, and Z and satisfy HIPAA, right? On the contrary, you know, HIPAA is, is a regulation that yes, does call out certain requirements uh, and yes, certain addressable requirements. Um, but it is also very flexible in the sense that depending on the size and the complexity of an organization or a company, like you can satisfy HIPAA requirements, um, you know, with the use of compensating controls or by actually, you know, meeting certain requirements that are common in industry, right? Um, I think that most people will see security rule and they're like, oh no, what do I have to do now? You know, but I think an, another thing that companies should do is not be scared, you know, by regulation. Ooh, ah, regulation. If a, you know, ah, I don't know what this means. Um, you know, that's, that's what we're here for. Like the, the, the HIPAA people. <laughs> um, and that's our role. You know, I think that we should be engaging um, companies and, workforce members and educating them that this isn't some big giant you know scary monster on the contrary it's it's something that we can work with and we can work within uh to do the right thing and to to safeguard the data and and ultimately protect our patients so that we don't impact their safety that's wonderful and well well said thank you for thank you Thanks. for that um, on the flip side, I'm kind of curious, you know, um, in addition to, in addition to, um, 
you know, advice that you give to companies that deal with health, uh, healthcare data. What about to consumers? You know, in this world, me and you and everyone are increasingly becoming the consumers of uh, healthcare-related uh, technology services. You know, I use a Fitbit. A lot of people use Fitbit, Apple Watch. Um, you know, in this ever-changing kind of landscape of you know healthcare data and privacy, you know, what what are some of the tips that you would give to consumers on how to better protect their data? I mean, should we just not use it altogether and not uh, get benefits? Or, you know, what are some of the things we can do to actually better protect ourselves? That's so good, I Ching. Wow. Um, yes. We need to protect our data. Like, we have to be, we have to be at the driver's seat. Right? I think that's, that's important to call out. Um, and to that point, like, it kind of goes back to reminding yourself that, hey, my data is my fingerprint my email address, this password I'm using, um, you know, the information that I choose to put into sign up for, you know, the Williams Sonoma newsletter that I that I just entered into yesterday, like, oh, <laughs> that's my data, that's my fingerprint, you know, and, and I'm entrusting it to this company, right? So and I'm, I'm putting this, you know, sight unseen trust that this company is doing the right thing on their end. Um, there's a the element of trust and safety, you know, when we talk about privacy and security, um, because I think at the end of the day, it, it all truly comes down. It all comes down to trust, right? Um, so as consumers, I would say like, do you trust who you're giving your information to? That's a question to ask. Um, I just got um, a report that uh, my password was identified in a 2018 data leak from one of the companies that I had uh, you know, shared my information with. Um, the report indicated it was, it was my name, uh, address, uh, it was also my credit card information, and also um, um, like my email and IP. And I was like, that's a lot of information. So. I guess the good news is that that card that was on file had expired. So I was like, okay, but then I wanted to make sure that like, oh, did I get just a new card, you know, with a different expiration date? You know, it, it, it starts to make you think, I'm like, what, what actions do I need to take now to protect myself? You know, uh, the other thing was I, I didn't get notice from the company. I got, I got notice from, uh, you know, one of the credit bureaus, mm. you know, um, I sign up for you know credit protection. Um, the other thing I've realized is given given the work that I do, um, and also given my my role with the company, um, you know I'm a target, and my information has been attempted you know to be compromised multiple times. I've I've received the the credit warnings like, hey, is this you trying to apply for you know a thirty thousand dollar you know, personal loans, like, no, it's not me, you know, so <laughs> I get those notices and it's scary, right? But at the same time, um, you know, there are things that I can do to protect myself. Like, like I just said, credit monitoring, credit protection. Um, I don't think that passwords are necessarily the most secure anymore. Back, back in the day, it was, it was, yes, you know, get your password going. But then we quickly realized that again, that human element that I mentioned at the beginning, that human element, you know, makes it easy for passwords to be broken. Like, you know, I 
my password for a very long time was the name of my little dachshund. Um, you know, and when I had a Facebook account, which I no longer do, but when I had one, I realized that pictures of my little dachshund, you know, were everywhere with her name listed. You know? And then I also realized that, you know, oh, I didn't set my privacy settings. I thought that the company would do that. They didn't, you know, again, that's an assumption that we as consumers make. Um, so I realized quickly that I, you know, through not taking proper action, uh, you know, could have potentially exposed like a very significant component of my password out there. You know, now, um, you know, I prefer passphrases, you know, strong passwords, complex. I used to say, I used to tell folks that uh, longer is stronger, complexity is key. And when I would give trainings and education to a group of people in a room, like 30 people, 50 people in a room, I would actually ask them to repeat that with me. I want you all to say it with me now, please. Stronger, longer is stronger, complexity is key. And you'd be surprised, like that level of engagement and education with people, um, it gets them to remember. Uh, and in fact, like two years later, I was walking through a hospital and one of the individuals who I had provided this training to said, hey, longer is stronger, complexity is key. So it sunk in, you know? Uh, and that's, that's kind of like what we do too, you know, as consumers, like remember things, you know, remember important safeguards and controls. Um, we invest in password managers now, you know, just to sum up the password policy topic, uh, invest in one. If you have a lot of passwords, like use one. I think it's great that Apple is now, um, is now providing you know strong passwords for certain sites you know you can use their apple password which then gets stored in the keychain and it's kind of like a password manager and you don't have to think about stuff but then again that also brings with it a certain level of risk um back to consumers um i would say you know we are now in this really unique COVID world where most of us are at home right and so being at home that means that we're most likely engaging more with the internet Right. So um, be aware of your websites, you know, be aware of your system security settings at home on your home devices. Um, that includes your, your apps, that includes your wearables. Um, be aware of your settings. And, and if, if something says, you know, it needs an update, update it. It's for a reason. Um, be conscious of, you know, your, your security and your privacy. Um, use malware, use anti-malware, anti antivirus. Um, you can take it a step further, set up multi-factor authentication, you know, for your devices and for your, for your accounts. Um, yeah, and just, just be aware. That's as simple as it comes down to. Thank you, Dennis, for your helpful advice to our audience. Now, let me switch gear a bit. Comparing to HIPAA in the US, what are your thoughts about the GDPR in the UK? AKA the general data protection regulation. It's just so fascinating. Like one thing I was going to talk about was, you know, the similarities between security is at its core, right? You're talking data protection, right? Not necessarily regulatory oversight, you know, and, and law, but it's, it's security. It's, it's the, the tools and the techniques to make sure that your, your individuals are protected. And then also the pay, the, the, Consumer rights, the individual rights, yeah. is incredible. Like it's it's so different from the United States. We have what's called the California Consumer Privacy Act (CCPA). It's based in California, but it's 
it's being referred to in industry as like baby GDPR, which is so funny. Um, <laughs> but if you think about it, California is, is like the largest state of commerce in the union, right? So the, how to put it? So with GDPR, it's like, you know, it covers any, um, it applies to any company that's based in the UK, right? Same thing with, G with CCPA. It's like companies that are based in California that collect up to, I think, 50,000 data points of individuals that make $25 million uh, in revenue. Um, uh, and there's one other requirement that I need to like refresh myself on, but it's, it's very similar, right? So if you think about it, CCPA extends across the nation, right? Yeah. And as CCPA was developed with that in mind, it's kind of pushed the government to to act and so there's a lot of discussion in legislation currently even with the past past administration and i know it's going to continue with this one about developing a federal privacy law right and by california i mean like california companies are subject to that and mm -hmm. so that means you know if you're in denver and you're using a Californian app, then subject the app is subject to your data is subject to the regulation of California mini GDPR. If you if you derive uh, revenue from consumers, and you know California, I think is the most is it the most populous state? Mm, it's one of them. <laughs> it's, up it's up there. <laughs> the reality is that, like you know, let's what's a good. Uh, let's just say, I'm, I know REI is based out of Washington, right? Mm. But it collects over 50,000 data points from California consumers, right? So CCPA implication applies to REI. Mm. Um, and same thing with like that Denver hypothetical. Um, it, it all comes down to like revenue, um, and I have to research it again, revenue and data points. Those are like the two most important things to remember with, with CCPA. Thank you so much for coming on today. It has been an absolute blast. And I really, as usual, enjoy your um, educational spirits that you bring with HIPAA. I think that's something that uh, uh, we all eagerly need and uh, desire. So uh, always appreciate your effort, your um, willingness to kind of teach us how to be uh, safer, how to do the right thing. So very, very much appreciate you coming on to our podcast today. I'm just going to say this before I let you go. This is the best way to start a Friday morning. Yes. So thank you all. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's there for you, Nancy. And I hope that you have a wonderful weekend. Um, and I look forward to connecting again. Awesome. Thank well, you, you so too. Much. Happy weekend. Happy weekend. Bye, y'all. Hey you, thank you so much for your attention there. If you have any thoughts, opinions, or feedback, we would love it if you can join us on our Slack channel in the description link.